1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. Let me read it for you guys. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that will not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that will not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You pray with me. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that you have given us your word to, to read, to understand, to study, to apply. Thank you that you sent the incarnate word, Jesus, to live perfectly for us, to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, giving us justification. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've given us the ability to, to understand the word. Would you open our eyes today to help us see what you have for us? And would you send us out to declare and display the good news of the gospel? Holy Spirit, help me today to declare this word boldly and clearly as I ought to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today, if you heard it in the passage, we're going to talk about the body. It's repeated several times there, right? The human body. Right, is, is by far the most fascinating thing on the planet. There's nothing like the human body. Nothing's ever been made since God has created a body that's even anywhere close to as fascinating as the human body. In fact, get this. Your body has about 78 main organs within it. All right? Has 206 bones, has 600 muscles within it. Listen to this. Your body has 8,000 taste buds on your tongue. All right, that's God saying, hey, I want you to enjoy some good food and drink, amen? 8,000 taste buds. You have, according to science, okay, you have 60,000 miles of blood vessels strewn throughout your body. I don't know how they calculated that, but you got 60,000 miles of blood vessels. That's enough 
of blood vessels to kind of go around the planet Earth two times. And according to science, again, your body has 100 trillion, give or take, cells, 100 trillion cells within it. Listen, our bodies truly are fearfully and wonderfully made, amen? Our bodies are made up of many parts, and yet our body is one unit. And, and these many parts that are within our bodies, listen, they all work together. They all work together to keep us moving and thinking and creating, smelling, hearing, seeing, feeling, breathing. Listen, we cannot function as we should unless all the parts of our body are working together in unison. And we cannot function as we should unless all the parts of our bodies are treated as valuable. And so in today's text, Paul is going to use the body, the human body, as an analogy for how the church, how the body of Christ is to function underneath the, the headship of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit and in relation with one another. All right? So let's jump in today. Now, one of the issues in the Corinthian church, out of many issues, one of the issues in the Corinthian church is that they have been spotlighting one particular spiritual gift in the church. They had, been, they had made this gift, the, the primary gift, the, the gift of all gifts. And because of that, all sorts of bad fruit was coming from their pride and their posture around this one spiritual gift. Now, the spiritual gift that they were propping up was called the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues, which is simply a gift from God to speak to God. Now, there's much debate around the gift of tongues today, and I'm not gonna tread there. Some of you are like, man, tread there, get in it. Some of you are like, please don't go there. And I'm not, I'm gonna leave that up to Pastor Rafe and the team, amen? <laughs> but this we know, okay, about the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues was not understood by most listeners. And it was meant, at least in its original state, to communicate intimately with God himself. And unfortunately, the Corinthian church believed that those who had this gift were spiritually superior. And because they saw the gifts of tongues as the highest gift, and because they saw themselves as higher than those who didn't have the gift, they made everything about getting this one gift. And sadly, they downplayed the other gifts in the church, and those who did not have the gift were downplayed, looked at as lesser than and unfortunately, this posture around this gift of tongues has continued even into our day. People, and I would say even entire denominations, have made this gift of tongues the, the superior gift. And they have built all kinds of theology around it. And often the fruit from that looks just as it did in the Corinthian church. Posturing and pride and division and confusion. In fact, I remember when I first started following Jesus in my early 20s. Um, I started at first to read books about different religions and then I eventually started checking out different types of churches. And I eventually got saved at a church that preached the gospel. But <laughs> after being regenerated, I was told that the very next step in my spiritual walk of God was to be baptized in the spirit and receive the gift of tongues. In fact, during this, uh, at this church, what would happen is there'd be a sermon and then worship afterwards. And during the worship time, they would invite people up to the front and say, hey, come to the front and be prayed over. And they'd ask people to be prayed over here and we're gonna lay hands on you and we're gonna anoint you of oil so that you would receive the gift of the Spirit and the gift of tongues or receive the power of the Holy Spirit and give, be given the gift of tongues. So as a new baby Christian, I would come up front and I'd open my hands 
and I would be prayed over. They'd lay their hands on me, anoint me with oil on my forehead, and I would wait and wait. <laughs> and nothing ever happened. And for a season, for a very short season, that confused me, that frustrated me. Why wasn't I receiving this gift that the church deemed as critical to being a Christian? And listen, it was in part 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 that helped me understand the error that was being putting that was being put forward here. All right. Now, just as a word of caution, all right, before we in the room begin to feel spiritually superior ourselves because we don't do that with the gift of tongues, can we just pivot for a moment and, and take the spotlight off those who focus on the gift of tongues and admit that while it may not be the gift of tongues for us in this room today or for us at Park Church or for us in our theological stream, can we admit that we too can prop up certain gifts or practices as the most important as well, right? We too can feel spiritually superior because of our way of doing things or our traditions or because of our gifting or preaching styles. And listen, when we do that, we fall into the very same error as the Corinthian church. Because listen, y'all, spiritual pride is a thing. It's a thing. And it was permeating the church of Corinth. And so Paul sets out to correct them and to reorient them around what is true and what matters most. And my prayer today is that the spirit of God reorients us around what is true and what matters most as well. So the first thing that Paul gets after here in this course correction is unity and diversity. Unity and diversity is the theme of today's text. And Paul uses the body analogy to show the Corinthians that each gift and each person in the church is different but needed, okay? And he uses really clear logic to help them see their error. Look at verse 14 with me and following. Paul writes, for the body does not consist of one member but of many, it's unity and diversity. He says, if the foot should say, all right, imagine some talking body parts here. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. He's saying that because some in the Corinthian church felt like, man, we don't have the spiritual gift of tongues, so maybe we're actually not part of this thing. They felt like these outsiders. And Paul's saying, no, if, if your foot says that to the hand, or you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not the hand, so I'm, I'm, I'm not the primary gift, or I'm not as, as important as a hand, so I must not be part of this thing. He's saying, no, think about that. You're still part of the body. You're still part of the body. And he goes on and says, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. He says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body, unity and diversity, okay? So Paul's like, listen, Corinthians, you believe, in this moment, you believe that your spiritual gift is better and more important and more needed than the other gifts of the church. He's saying, listen, guys, that's like, that's like saying we only need an eye to exist biologically, right? Like, imagine that. Right, this is why Paul uses this very absurd but helpful analogy here. Imagine if God just made your entire body an eye, right? Imagine that, just an eyeball rolling around. That would be, first off, it would be really gross, wouldn't it? It's just a bunch of eyeballs out here. That'd be gross. And second, if this were true, listen, we wouldn't be able to walk or talk or taste or smell. 
let alone breathe, right? We wouldn't have a heartbeat. We would not exist, which is kind of Paul's point here. He's saying there is a diversity of parts in our body, in our physical bodies, and each one is needed and none is lesser than because at the end of the day, we are all members of the other. We are one body, right? He says we can't just go about picking and choosing what parts we want and what parts we don't want, right? That would lead to chaos and death. Imagine saying to your body, like, nah, I think I'm good without lungs. Like, I don't want lungs in my body. That would not end well. And this is really where verse 18 speaks loud and clear to us. Paul says in verse 18, it is God. It is God who arranged each body part as he chose. In other words, if you've got a problem with it, like if you don't like where your nose is on your face, like you want it in your knee or something, I don't know. He says, take it up with God because it was God's idea and his plan. And he is the one who arranged it and he is the craftsman behind it all. And God knows what he's doing, right? He, he created the most amazing things on the planet. Paul is basically calling out the Corinthians' arrogance here, their superiority complex. He's drawing a simple word picture that even a child can understand to help them see how ridiculous they actually sound. He's trying to get them to see that there's a beautiful and meaningful diversity in the body and that God designed it intentionally. So he starts with showing them how the human body is diverse. And then he pivots a bit to focusing on the unity of the body. Look at verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Why? Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul here wants the Corinthians to not only see that each diverse part is needed and important, but also that if we were to take away any parts of the body, that there would be a division within the body itself and would cease to be a united whole. The body, our physical bodies is one unit made of many parts. It shows itself to be united. For example, if you stub your toe, what happens next? What happens next when you stub your toe, y'all? Your mouth's speaking. It's saying something, right? It's like you're saying ow or you're like Christian swearing. I don't know what you're doing when you stub your toe, <laughs> right? But when you stub your toe, you're like stepping on a Lego, right? Parents in the room, you feel it right now. As I say that, you feel what you feel when you step on a Lego. You say something. Now, why? What happens there is you, you step on a Lego, you stub your toe, your foot sends a signal up your body to your brain and then your body reacts, right? Why does it do this? Because it's a unit. And when one member of the body suffers, the body itself suffers. So the body is a prime example of unity and diversity. So Paul actually spends a lot of ink working that analogy out for the Corinthians. Now, as you and I know, an analogy is meant to point us to a greater truth, right? So what's the point here, Paul? What's he getting at? Well, today's text is a bookend, meaning on either side of the body analogy that we just looked at in verses 14 through 26, on either side of that are the main points. So first, let's look at the front of the bookend in verses 12 through 13. Paul writes, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, here's his point, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink the one spirit. Paul's saying, listen, in the same way your physical body is united in a verse, in the same way your human body has many parts and is one, in the same way that all the parts of your body are needed and valuable and work together, so it is to be with Christ. So it is with Christ and his body. He's going to take something in the natural, right? And he's going to, to move it into the spiritual here. Paul is pointing out that just as the physical body displays unity and diversity, so does the body of Christ, which is just another term for the church. All right, so, so let's look at this idea of unity and diversity as it pertains then to the church. All right, first, Paul draws out our oneness or our unity in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. You see it there? Verse 13. The Spirit, he says, does the work of uniting us together in Christ. And he's like, hey, there's one Spirit. Don't get it twisted. There's one Spirit. There's not multiple spirits, right? We don't have different Holy Spirits within us. Like, if you're in Christ today, the Holy Spirit resides in you. The same Holy Spirit that resides in you resides in me and every other person that's here in Christ today. We have the same Spirit, right? There's not like an extra Holy Spirit over here that gives extra special gifts to some people and then a Holy Spirit over here that gives lesser gifts to others. No, there's one Spirit. In essence, what Paul is getting at is this. Corinthian church, would you divide the Spirit? Would you divide the Spirit of God? Would you divide the body of Christ He's saying, hey, you might not be saying that with your lips, Corinthian church, but your posture and your pride and practice is saying otherwise. This is how serious this is. The Corinthians are dividing the spirit of God, at least they're attempting to, and the church by propping up the gifts of tongues as more spiritual, more important. So Paul labors here to really emphasize oneness in light of that. He's saying one spirit leads to one body. He says, together, all in Christ, experience the Holy Spirit. He's saying, there is no division of higher or lower here. No, all were made to drink of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So this is a corrective to the Corinthians who assume that only some have the fullness of the Spirit through the gifts of tongues. And Paul makes it clear that all ethnic groups here and all socioeconomic groups that are in Christ all have the same spirit and are all on equal footing as one body, right? right? He's saying, hey, the Holy Spirit isn't just for the Jews, right? It's not just for white people or for church leaders or for those who have a lot of money. He's saying, no, it's all for the whole body. All can have the same spirit. This, this theological argument here by Paul completely tears down the the Corinthians' practice and their posture, and he calls it out as fundamentally false. It's fundamentally false. In fact, let's let's just settle here for a moment. Again, remember that the Corinthian church was making one gift the highest gift. They're downplaying other gifts as lesser than, and therefore other people who didn't have the gift of, of tongues as lesser than. They were dividing the church in the spirit really according to a class system, if you will. So hear me loud and clear today, guys. Listen, there is no class system in the church, right? If you sniff out classism here, if you sniff out racism here or a superiority complex, then we are not living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is not a God of partiality, right? If you are in Christ today, you have the Holy Spirit. 
You are part of the body of Christ. Each person here is someone who needs saved from their sins by Jesus. If you're here today and you are not in Christ or you are in Christ, either way, something we all got in common that we're all united around is the fact that we need saved by Jesus today, right? We are united in our fallenness. We are united in our sin nature. We are united in our brokenness. And if you have trusted Jesus today, we are then united in our redemption, right? And we are united in our identity in Christ through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, amen? So listen, for, for one of us, for one of us to see ourselves as superior is to completely miss the gospel. It's to miss the gospel. Spiritual pride is an oxymoron in the way of Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at with the Corinthian church. Spiritual pride is an oxymoron in the way of Jesus. And yet, can we be honest with one another? We struggle with this. We struggle with this, don't we? We struggle with spiritual pride from time to time. And we're not alone in our struggle. Obviously, here the early church and even the early disciples of Jesus struggled with the same thing. Again, we often believe that our culture or our tradition or maybe it's our theological astuteness or our gifts are better than the person next to us and definitely better than the church down the street. Or to bring it home for me, like the other guy preaching sometimes. <laughs> you know, there's moments when I'm listening to another preacher, whether on, you know, a podcast or somewhere else, and a thought went in my mind. And listen, it's not from God, it's totally from my flesh. And I'd be like, man, I think I explained that point just a bit better. Or, I think I preached that point better. Some of you all think that right now. Like, man, I, think, I think I kind of tackled this a different way, Sam. <laughs> And listen, full vulnerability. I'm not even close to the best preacher at the team of Park at Park, right? Let alone the thousands around the U.S. and the world. In those moments, right, what is happening to me is spiritual pride is, is kind of creeping in and trying to prop me up. And listen, if we don't nip that, it will eventually lead to division. It will lead to division in the church. Now, maybe it's not preaching for you today. Maybe it's whatever your gift is. Maybe it's your preferred way of doing things or your experience that you bring to the table or your social standing and culture, your bank account or your educational level. Whatever it is, when we begin to have this posture of spiritual classism, it will wreak havoc wherever we are. It will divide the body of Christ, which is a weighty thing, y'all, to bring division to the body of Christ. There's maybe nothing more weighty in the world. So may we be reminded today that we are one body made alive in Christ by one spirit and that we need one another. And listen, none of us is more of a son or daughter of the king than the other. Amen? So that's unity in the body of Christ. And now Paul directs his attention to the diversity of the, the body of Christ. Look with me at the very other end of the, of the book into the, the passage. You'll find it in uh, verses 27 to 30. The other end of the analogy. He says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various gifts of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Leaves that last. It's kind of tongue in cheek. It's kind of fun. Do all interpret? 
Here's what Paul's doing. He wants us to accept the fact that we aren't supposed to be all the same, right? Which is why he asks these rhetorical questions here. Are all apostles, do all work miracles, do all speak in tongues? He asks these questions to help us understand that we have different gifts. The answer is no to those questions, right? We don't all have those gifts. We need each other, right? In a healthy body, all, all parts are functioning, not just some of the parts, These questions are meant to get the Corinthians to understand that not only is the gift of tongues not the primary gift in the church, but not all have this gift, and that there is a need for a diversity of gifts, and everyone in the church actually gets to play, not just some people, right? And it's important that we all play our part, that all of us play our part. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, um, but have you ever played a sport where someone's in the wrong position, or maybe you're a musician, and somebody's on the wrong instrument in the band. <laughs> I, uh, I play pickup basketball from time to time. And sometimes there's this guy that we play with that thinks he's like Steph Curry. You know what I'm saying? Like he's, he needs to be the point guard, but he's actually a center. He needs to be down low posting up. He's trying to bring the ball up and dribble, but he can't really dribble. But he wants to be Steph Curry so bad. He's a really good big man. <laughs> but he's trying to be somebody he's not. And what happens in that scenario is the team always suffers because he's not playing his part, right? I actually remember playing basketball with some of the park pastors recently, and I was on a team with Jason Lalone and John Latore. These guys are both guards who like to shoot the three ball. And on the other team with someone you guys might know was a guy named Thomas, who's an elder at um, Park Hyde Park. Do you guys know Thomas? He's really tall. Like, he makes me look short. I'm 6'2". I don't know. He's like 6'8". He's also much wider than me. He's stronger than me. He's bigger than me. Everything, right? And since, and since I was a little taller than John and Jason, they had me playing against Thomas. They're like, hey, Sam, go post up Thomas. Give us room on the three-point line. And, and it was terrible. I mean, I'm a shooting guard, like the two guard. And here I am posting Thomas up down low. And listen, I say this to my embarrassment. He blocked my shot so many times that day. And then I had to go guard him down in the paint when he had the ball. I was miserable. I was out of my element, and it affected the team. We lost in part because they had me in the wrong position. Hey, Sam, down there and post up Thomas. Come on, guys. It's like, imagine me getting back here. I don't know. You guys don't have a drum set in the keys. Man, if you know me, if you ask my wife and kids, I'm, I have the least rhythm in the family, for sure, in our family. Um, but it's not gonna build the church up. You think I'm like, hey, I got it from here, guys. I'll do the closing song. You think that's gonna build the church of God? Not a chance, right? Not a chance. What Paul wants us to see here is that God has chosen. God has chosen different gifts for different people and that while now all have the same gift, all have a role to play because we are all one body. Listen, hear me today. We aren't the body without you. If you're in Christ today, we are not the body without you. The philosopher Jerry Maguire, I don't know if you guys know Jerry Maguire. He's a great philosopher. He was right. You know what he said? You, you guys finish it. Complete me. It's the worst. Don't watch it if you haven't seen it. It's like a really cheesy rom-com. It's almost embarrassing that I even referenced it. I thought about it. I'm like, why did I put it in there? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> So listen, just as God has appointed our physical body parts and he has chosen where they are in the body and what they do in the body, right, physically. In the same way, God has also appointed diverse gifts in the body of Christ. That's what Paul's getting after. 
And just as it is with the human body, our diversity of gifts does not take away from our unity as a whole, as the body of Christ. Listen, our individuality isn't so individual, like speak to Americans here, right? We get so individual that we kind of disconnect from our families or disconnect from our communities or disconnect from our church. Sometimes we get so individual. Paul says here that our individuality isn't so individual that it is disconnected from the whole. Rather, he says our individuality adds to the beauty and the functionality of the whole. You see that there? It adds to it. Our individually adds to the functionality of the whole. That's beautiful. All right? Now, in light of the Corinthian church's error here with the gift of tongues, can I just say something just as a word of caution when you see the spiritual gift list? You see the gift list there? Gift lists are tricky. Um, this one's not exhaustive, just like most of them are. Really, all the gift lists in the scriptures are not exhaustive. Um, but when we see a gift list, I don't know about you, but I can be kind of tempted to respond to a gift list in a couple different ways. One way is this. I can make it all about me and my gift, or you can make it all about you and your gift. Right? This is really what the Corinthians are doing. They're seeing their gift, and they're like, that's the gift. That's the one. That's the one that makes the church go around. Um, but we see this list or maybe another spiritual gift list, or we do this. We take a spiritual gift list, uh, gift test, which is a good thing to do. But often we find much identity in our gift or our personality trait, or maybe I'll step on some toes right now, but our Enneagram number? I mean, I'm an eight, so this is how I respond to stuff. It's like, man, we could like use that as a crutch. Gotta be careful. <laughs> like, no, first, you're a son or daughter of God because of what Jesus has done. That's your primary identity. Not eight with a wing six. But we've become borderline obsessed with our gift and our wiring, with our good gifts and good wirings that God has given to us, but they gave us for a reason. They've been given to us for a reason. And we begin to think that our gift or our way of seeing things is the best way. Like imagine everybody just thought like I did. Things would be so much better, right? And before we know it, like to bring it to church, before we know it, we're like looking down at the evangelists because they're not like, they don't have shepherding hearts enough. They're out on the block too much. They're not, caring for the people enough and the evangelists get fed up with the shepherds because they're not outside the church enough and on and on it can go. And often what happens next is we create this spiritual classism ladder of who's in and who's out and who's more important, who's less important, who gets to play, who doesn't. And it can become all centered on us and our spiritual gift. And our spiritual gift, listen, was meant for the glory of God and the edifying of the church and the good of our neighbor. It's so easy to swing into this and we have to be careful. And then number two, when we see a gift list like this today, sometimes we can do this. We can want what others have, right? We can want what others have. Um, and this happens perhaps because certain gifts have been glorified or platformed or because we want power or attention or maybe it's just jealousy. I don't know what it is. But sometimes we can look around at others and want their gift. I want that gift. And we become discontent with who God has made us to be. God has made us to be a certain way. and We become discontent with that. And we can try to force our way into conversations or roles. And listen, once we stop living out the gift that God has uniquely given us, know what happens every single time? Just like on that basketball court, the church suffers. Other people suffer because you have uniquely been given a gift to build the body by God himself. 
right? Imagine if we were all the same way anyway, right? If we all were teachers, whatever. That would be a dull church, wouldn't it? It'd be a frustrating church. It's like eating the same food every day for the rest of their lives, right? Your 8,000 taste buds would not be happy, y'all. Diversity is a good thing. So Paul's getting after, right? Because God has given all people in the church a gift. And listen, your gift might look different than mine and vice versa, but each of our gifts have the same goal in mind as designed by God, the same goal. And this goal is really what Paul is going to get after in the coming chapters. So chapters 13 and 14 is Paul getting after the goal of our spiritual gifts. But he does briefly mention it here in today's text. Look at the very last verse in today's text, verse 31. He says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now I gotta be honest, y'all. When I first read this, I did a double take with Paul. I'm like, hold up. Why are you saying earnestly desire the higher gifts? Isn't that what God is here in the first place, right? The, the Corinthians were saying this gift is higher. They were earnestly desiring that higher gift. But listen, this is just an example of biblical exegesis 101, how to read our Bibles. My old mentor, David Helm, used to say, context is king, and, and so it is, okay? If we read this verse isolated from its context, we will certainly be confused, but if we read it within the context of the, the letter of 1 Corinthians itself, and especially in light of the, of the continued argument that Paul has in chapters 13 and 14, we will see exactly what Paul means here. Paul's usage here of higher gifts has less to do about what spiritual gifts are numerically higher, like a top 10 list, and it has a lot more to do what, with what the gift does, with its functionality. All right, again, since the Corinthians had had made the gifts of tongues the highest gift, and wrongly so, Paul's here pointing to gifts that are intelligible gifts as the higher gifts, gifts that could be understood, gifts that build up the body. He says in chapter 14, I'll read it for you, uh, one through five, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now by prophesy here, he means speaking forth God's word, kind of like I'm doing right now or that you can do in a one-on-one conversation or in a small group, speaking forth God's word, not foretelling or predicting the future, especially that you may prophesy. He says, verse two, for one who speaks in tongues, all right, this is the gift that's like causing some issues. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. Right, what's he saying? but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. He says in verse five, now I want you all to speak in tongues. He's, he's saying, I'm not against it as it was originally meant, but I'm just putting it in this proper order and place. He says, but even more, I want you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue unless someone interprets him so that, here's the purpose statement, so that the church may be built up. He says in chapter 14, verse 12, so with yourselves, Corinthians, since you're so eager for manifestations of the spirit, like you're really leaning into the spiritual element of things. You're really leaning into, but so you're, because you're so eager, do this, strive to excel in building up the church. That's his point. That's where he's going with all this, right? So, so Paul is all about using our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. 
And the Corinthians here had diminished the gifts that built up the body for the gift of tongues, which was, which was a much less intelligible gift. It was really more about building up the self rather than building up the church. That's the core issue at play right now. Theologian Anthony Thistleton says this, Paul will lead the Corinthians to understand that the greatest gifts are not those that minister to status or self, but those which serve the good of others and build up the community. Ben Withington says, Paul urges the Corinthians to seek earnestly or to be eager for the greater gifts, the intelligible ones that build up the body. He says, since you are eager for gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the body of Christ. So this is what Paul means by earnestly desire the higher gifts, the ones that are intelligible that can be understood and that build up the body, that build up the people all around you today, the people in your small groups, the people that you live life with throughout the week, gifts that build up the body. And then as he finishes chapter 12, he says this, I will show you a more excellent way, meaning I will show you the way of love. This is next week, chapter 13. Not next week, it's Easter, right? I don't, it's chapter 13. I will show you a more excellent way. I will show you the way of love. He's saying love must be the motivation for using the gifts that God has given us to build up the body. Paul's saying pursue love. And in that context of love, eagerly desire the things of the spirit, especially those gifts that are intelligible that will thus edify the community around you. So we'll get into a lot more of that. You guys will get into a lot more of that in the coming weeks in chapters 13 and 14. But for today, I'm gonna close out. I'm almost finished. Let me just close with two action steps for us today. Two action steps. Number one, play your part. Play your part. Whoever God has made you to be, whoever God has made you to be in this church, in the church, walk in it. Walk in it with humility, right? And walk in it with confidence. God has made you that way. We need you. We need one another. We are better together. Paul actually says in Ephesians chapter four, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Jesus, from whom, from whom Jesus, that is from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, by every part with which it is equipped. When each part, when each one of us is working properly, living into our gifts, through love, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God designed the human body and God designed the church. The part, listen, the part you play, whatever that is, maybe you're finding that out, maybe you're trying to find out what that is, maybe you're living in it right now, maybe you know what it is, but the part you play is God's idea. And listen, that's, that's a restful place to be. If you find out who God has made you to be in the church so you can build the body, Rest in that. That's a beautiful place to be. And play that part. Listen, play that part to the glory of God and for the good of others. So that's the first just call to action, guys. Play your part. And two, get after the main thing. Get after the main thing, which is love and building one another up. Right? This is why we have spiritual gifts in the first place. And listen, if you want an example of someone who loved others and built the church, obviously look no further than Jesus, who was the head of the church. Right? We have no better example of someone who gave us everything, willing to build us up right? because of his great love for us. Jesus, the head of the church, shows and tells us what love looks like in action. He gave his life for the community. He 
gave it up to build up the body, to create the community in the first place. And every gift that he had, if you read through the Gospels, he's using it over and over and over again to serve others, both those inside the church and those outside the church. He's giving himself away to serve others. In fact, every gift in the church, every gift in the church Jesus had, he was the perfect healer and the perfect shepherd. He's the perfect leader, the perfect teacher, the perfectly generous one. And he has given gifts to his body that actually reflect him. So every gift that you have is a spiritual gift that reflects a part of who Jesus is. But none of us have all the gifts. So that's why we need to work together to reflect Jesus in his wholeness. So Ephesians 4 says later in the chapter. And when we work together as a body, each playing our part, the body of Christ will be built up. It's a promise. When we work together, motivated by love, using our gifts to build each other up, the body will always grow. It could be numerically, sure, but I'm talking about maturity, love, reflecting Jesus, loving our neighbor. We will grow. Again, more on that in the coming weeks. But for today, listen, may we put aside that spiritual pride that spiritual pride that comes in sideways on us. I mean, we put it aside, right? Just like Paul's calling the Corinthian church, say, hey, no, 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 put this aside. And may we be activated instead to play our part for the glory of God and the good of others. Amen? Amen, would you pray with me? God, thanks for your word. I just pray that uh, for Park South Loop today that they would be built up today through my stammering, that it will be built up um, to reflect more and more the image of Jesus, to um, worship Jesus more and more, to know him more and more, to love their neighbor more and more. And they would work together to build up one another, that you would be glorified through that. We know that our unity in our diversity is actually a reflection of you, even the triune God. And that um, when we work together, People around take notice of our love for one another and they say, hey, they are truly from God. Um, it points to you. So may we do that. It's, it's so important, God. May we get after it in the name of Jesus. Uh, we love you. We can't do this without you. So Holy Spirit, come and fill us. Send us out to love one another and love our neighbors. In Jesus' name.